Yeah, I guess I haven't been up here for a while. Anyway, giving a, a main message. It's just <clears throat> a lot of thoughts, a lot of things going on in my life right now. And so I'm just, I'm thankful, David, for, for those words. <clears throat> it's just uh, that if we persevere to the end, that's what matters, is that we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And uh, we will face trials. We know that. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you're always there for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, which is sufficient for each and every need in our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you carry us. We thank you, Father, that you mold us. You shape us, you chasten us, Lord, in, uh, in ways, Father, that may not be pleasant but needful to bring out, Lord, what is what is needful in us, Lord Jesus, that we are molded more and more into your character, into your image, and that we become less of ourselves and uh, more of you. So, Father, we thank you for that. <clears throat> we thank you. Your promises are true. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. Father, we just want to pray and invite you Holy Spirit, to be in our midst and to just be with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess this is more of a testimony again than anything else. Um, of just, I would say, a lessons or things that we experienced or experienced the last year. I want to begin with this poem that has uh, really helped me. Um, Cory ten Boom read it a lot. It's, life is but a weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weave it steadily. Oft times he weave it sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly, will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the thread of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I don't know, I just... I don't want to cry my way all the way through this, but... I hope I don't have to.
Um, another one that someone sent me is, we have not passed this way heretofore, but the Lord Jesus has. It is all untrodden and unknown ground to us, but he knows it all by personal experience. The steep bits that take our breath away, the stony bits that make our feet ache so, the hot shadeless stretches that make us feel so exhausted. the rushing rivers that we have to pass through. Jesus has gone through it all before us. He was wearied with his journey. Not some, but all the many waters went over him and yet did not quench his love. He was made a perfect leader by the things which he suffered. He knoweth our frame, he remembered that we are dust. Think of that when you are tempted to question the gentleness of his leading. He is remembering all the time, not one step will he make you take beyond what your foot is able to endure. Never mind if you think it will not be able for the step that seems to come next. Either he will so strengthen it that it shall be able, or we will call a sudden halt, and you will not have to take it at all. <sighs> so... I stand here today and I hardly know where to begin. It still seems a little unreal at times. I still grieve and cry a lot. I, will, I miss my wife tremendously. The hurt and the pain feels overwhelming at times. There have been times when I've been frustrated and angry. I've cried out to God and asked why, only to be met with silence. What do you say when God takes the most treasured possession that you have? What do you say when he takes the one who knows you better than any other? The one who is there for you when you need someone to talk to, to confide in, to comfort you. One who is supposed to be there, help you raise the children that God has given you. The one who completes and compliments you in so many ways, 
it was hard to watch my wife going through what she went through, but I'm still thankful for the grace that God gave us along the journey. I will always remember the patience that she had through it all. The example of patience that I saw in her motivates me to be faithful and continue on in my journey as well. She did have a struggle when we decided to end treatments. And that is probably, and that it probably meant outside of a miracle that she would not be with us for long anymore. But again, as I watched her, as we prayed, as people prayed for her, the grace of God was again sufficient in that she found peace with letting go and accepting the will of God. You may be wondering if Rachel had any last words or said something near the end. No, she didn't. I don't remember any. But I do know <clears throat> that I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit as we sat there with her those last hours. A brother came to me later and told me that that morning as he was driving to work, he had this urgency to pray for Rachel. He said he started to pray for her. And as he was driving down the road, all of a sudden, God gave him this vision where he saw Rachel standing next to Jesus. It only lasted for a few seconds, but he knew something had happened. And a few hours later, someone called him to let him know that Rachel had passed into eternity. So I cannot tell you that I understand why God chose Rachel home or to take Rachel home. I have a lot of unanswered questions. And I don't think I will ever understand here on this side. And maybe I don't have to. I keep reminding myself that as a disciple of Christ, that my hands are always outstretched and open to him. Open to relinquish and open to receive. As hard as that may be sometimes, we are called to trust God no matter what we face. And we are reminded that we have not been promised an easy life as a Christian. What we have been promised is that God has told us that he will never leave nor forsake us. And that underneath are the everlasting arms that never fail or grow weak. I'm reminded of Corrie ten Boom. When she and Betsy were in the concentration camp in Ravensbrück, near the end, God gave Betsy a vision of what was to happen after the war. He showed Betsy 
a former concentration camp that had been painted with pretty colors. Grass, bushes, and flowers had been planted to make everything look beautiful. God showed Betsy that this camp was to be used as a place to bring the hurting people, namely the German guards, and teach them about God's love. Betsy told this vision to Corey, and they shared a hope that this was going to happen soon. But Betsy became weaker and weaker until one day she passed away. Corey was devastated, but by the end of that year, she was released and went on to continue the Lord's work. She did go to Germany and found this camp, and everything was as Betsy said it would be. What struck me about this is that Betsy could have been so useful in all of this to be with Corey and help her in all of these things. They, they could have been a tremendous force for God's kingdom together. They had learned so much in the concentration camp. They had learned to trust God in new ways. They could use those experiences to lead others to forgiveness and healing. And we, in our human minds, we think this way. And you look at, and you just wonder, wow, Lord, those two could have done so much together. Look at all they've learned. Look at all they've endured in that concentration camp. They could have been a tremendous force for you. But then you remember the verse, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. One of the things that a brother shared with me that I continuously bring to mind is that Rachel is not mine. She has never really belonged to me. She belongs first and foremost to the one who created her. In Psalms 139, verses 13 to 18, it says, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that formed me. And when as yet there was none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Rachel belongs to God. He gave her as a gift to her parents who raised her, who loved her and provided for her. But all the while, 
God was continuously protecting, shaping, molding, teaching, and directing her paths. He never slept or slumbered. His eyes and his thoughts were continuously upon her. He was drawing her and working in her life to bring her to himself. Eventually, with the blessings of her parents and our church here, God saw fit that she should be my wife for 14 years and that he would gift us seven children. He planned this for Rachel's life. He planned that I would play a part in her life. And then when that life came to its fulfillment, God chose to take her home. What I understand is that this is not about me. This is what God had planned for Rachel, and he knew that this would happen. He saw fit that I would be the one who was to be her husband. He planned for us to be part of her life. He planned for our children to be part of her life, her sisters, her brothers, and friends were all part of her life and had a purpose in it. So I just want you to think about that. That we all had a part to play in Rachel's life. Some longer than others. But ultimately, she belongs to God. And he chooses the direction for her life. I remember someone telling me that a sister had asked God why. Why had he taken her home at such a time? Her husband and children needed her. Her life was half-lived. She had wondered if her life had been half-lived, was incomplete. To us it seems cut short. But what she felt God telling her was not that Rachel's life was incomplete, but had reached its fulfillment. And that's ultimately where you have to come to in your heart. Had reached its fulfillment. So I look back at that life with her with great fondness and thankfulness that she was part of my life. I miss her presence, I miss her gentleness, her sweet nature, her deep thoughtfulness, her creativity, her laugh and her love. But I also look back with regrets. Regrets for taking her for granted. Regrets for not taking more time to connect with her in more meaningful ways. There were too many days that were just ordinary, where they could have been more meaningful and encouraging. There were too many times where I let her fight through her battles alone. Times when I was too selfish to be aware that something was going on underneath times when we should have prayed and talked through the struggles instead of allowing them to build. If there's one thing that I've hopefully learned 
is that true genuine love and compassion are the overarching theme of our lives. I cannot tell you, brothers and sisters, how easy it is to just disengage from people's lives and to let them find their own way. Just let everything slide and hope out and will hope it will turn out eventually. <laughs> it has really struck me as I think of Rachel, is that whatever I have said and done, it can now no longer be altered or changed. I cannot take back my words. That time is over. She's gone. What I have done and how I've treated her is all in the books to be reviewed one day. I cannot tell you how it struck me lately again of who I can become if I allow the hurt and frustrations to rule my life. I can take out my pain and frustration on others. The careless and hurtful words that I say to my children, to students, to other brothers and sisters. I can choose to build walls around myself and block everyone out of my life because of the things I go through. I can become hard as stone to the point where nothing moves me. We can become so cold and disconnected from other people's struggles that we are in danger of becoming like the Pharisees, where even the very God walking among them could not penetrate the wall they had erected. And these past few months, with what has happened with my wife and what has happened in Almanor really made me turn inward, check my own heart. And a lot of times what I found was not very pretty. I sometimes feel like a tremendous failure. I look around at the people in my life and inwardly I grieve and I cry for what I have done to them. Because of my selfishness, my anger, and self-righteousness. This has really hit me lately. I cannot undo those times and events. But by the grace of God, I can change what happens going forward. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I don't know how you view this verse, but do you actually believe that this verse is true? That our words have the power to bring life but also take life. You have in your tongue the power to change a person's trajectory in life to either towards a life of success and worth or towards failure and feelings of worthlessness and condemnation.
And it's times when people get sick or they end up in an accident or in the hospital that we automatically feel compassion and empathy. We want to do something to make their day brighter and better. We want to visit them and pray with them and give them some encouragement. It's all good. It's exactly what we should be doing. And we feel terrible if we didn't take the opportunity to do that. But I have to say, it's just as needful today with the people that are around us. It is when a person is no longer with us that we are grieved that we did not do more for them. And I see myself in that. I see a lot of times I'm too critical, too focused on seeing the negatives. I know that by being this way, that it robs my joy in the Lord, and it also causes me to feel negatively about my children, about the students I work with, and those around me. And I feel that God has shown me this recently about myself. We need to take the opportunities that he presents to us. And I think you all know what I mean. Since I've lost Rachel, I can now understand a little the pain and hurt of losing a loved one. There are still situations and scenarios that are even more intense and painful and what my family had to endure. I now understand a little bit why people become angry and bitter against God. You can easily go in that direction if you allow the pain and hurt to just take over. The heartache, the loneliness is there. Believe me, it hurts. Some people who have gone through suffering walk away from Jesus. They can't understand if he... if. He is so loving and loves us, then why would you allow something like that? And the thing is that he will allow you to walk away. A sister wrote me this potent note. It has brought me to tears and has been an encouragement to me during those painful moments. She says, I have been thinking of you the past few days. The Lord is with you, Sammy. I know it all doesn't make sense. I don't know if it ever will. But trust the Lord. But trust that the Lord will be real to you and show you what you need to know. I almost lost my faith after my miscarriage. I was grappling with a lot of bigger questions than just the loss of a baby. I remember telling God that I think I'm going to just walk away and not believe. And I remember him saying back to me that I can do that if I would like. I remember how the response from him was calm and straightforward and true and kind. And because it was so that way, I said back to him, okay, I will not walk away or lose my faith, but I just ask that you show yourself real to me. And I can honestly say that since I said that to him, he has done just that. 
I know that his realness doesn't take away the emotional, physical pain, but it is at least something we have when we don't have anything else. In the end, he is all we have. We come in naked and we leave with nothing in our possession but him. I remember I had a dream one time about a beautiful ring. I thought even in my dream that I know that I am sleeping and dreaming. I was trying to figure out a way to take this ring from my dream to when I would wake up. Then I felt like I was falling, and it was this very scary feeling of falling. When I woke up, I did not have my ring. The Lord told me that we cannot take anything with us from this world. I knew just what he was trying to say. We have nothing but him. We can choose to let the hardness of this very fallen world drive us away from him or cause us to realize that we need to move closer to him. You, my friend, have been brought to this cross and road more intensely and sooner than most. May you find himself real to you in a deeper way, probably more than most as well, as you move forward. We leave with nothing in our possession but him. That is the reality of it all. Everything else has been a gift given to us for a short period of time. And Jesus, what struck me is what Jesus said to her. You can do that if you like. That sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? Just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. You can go if you like, but I'll be here waiting to receive you back with open arms. Isn't he so patient and gracious to us? Isn't he always there walking with us and helping us through our trials and struggles? And that's how it is. Isaiah 43, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples, in exchange for your life. He said, when you pass through the waters and when you walk through the fire, he will be with us. Not if you do, but when you do. When you do. And that's the thing. The question is, who is Jesus to you, really? Who is he? Is Jesus truly your most treasured possession? Does your life at the moment reflect that Jesus is the one thing 
that is most dear to your heart. And that's something we all have to answer. Does your life at the moment reflect that Jesus is the one thing that is most dear to your heart? This one song says, All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. So there are still things that I struggle with. We felt at one time that God, has, God had given us some promises. And uh, it just felt very real. And God had, had given us some promises, but I don't know what to do with that. I do feel God's promises are just the way he says it. But I don't have an answer at this time of those things that he showed us. But I know he does. And I want to close with uh, reading a few things from about suffering from Elizabeth Elliot. Um... Just some things I want to read that hopefully are an encouragement to us. She says here, There have been some hard things in my life, of course, as there have been in yours. And I cannot say to you, I know exactly what you're going through. But I can say that I know the one who knows. And I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through to the unshakable assurance that he's in charge. He has a loving purpose and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. The deepest things that I've learned in my life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. And I would add this, that the greatest gifts of my life have also entailed the greatest suffering. And let's never forget that if we don't ever want to suffer, we must be very careful never to love anything or anybody. The gifts of love have been the gifts of suffering. Those two are inseparable. The question remains, is God paying attention? If so, why doesn't he do something? I say he has, he did. He is doing something, and he will do something. The subject can only be approached by the cross, that old rugged cross so despised by the world. The very worst thing that ever happened in human history turns out to be the very best thing because it saved me. It saves the world. And so God's love, which was represented, demonstrated to us in his giving his son Jesus to die on the cross, he has brought together in harmony with suffering. 
If we learn to know God in the midst of our pain, we come to know him as one who is not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He is one who has been over every inch of the road. I love that old hymn by Richard Baxter, Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. What is this great symbol of Christian faith? It is a symbol of suffering. That that is what the Christian faith is about. It deals head on with this question of suffering and no other religion of the world does that. Every other religion in some way evades the question. Christianity has at its very heart this question of suffering. God is a three-person God. He loves us. We are not adrift in chaos. To me, that is the most fortifying, the most stabilizing, the most peace-giving thing that I know anything about in the universe. Every time things have seemingly fallen apart in my life, I have gone back to those things that do not change. Nothing in the universe can ever change those facts. Whatever is in the cup that God is offering to me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief along with many, with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust him. Because I know that what God wants for me is the very best. I will receive this thing in his name. I need pain sometimes because God has something bigger in mind. It is never for nothing. And so I say, Lord, in Jesus' name, by your grace, I accept it. She goes on to say, I've never thanked God for cancer. I have never thanked God specifically that certain Indians murdered my husband. I don't need to thank God for the cancer or for the murder, but I do need to thank God that in the midst of that very situation, the world was still in his hands. The one who keeps all those galaxies wheeling in space is the very hands that holds me. The hands that were wounded on the cross are the same hands that hold the seven stars. If God has given us a gift, it's never only for ourselves. It's always to be offered back to him, and very often it has, it has repercussions for the life of the world. Jesus offered himself to be the bread for the life of the world. He said, the bread that I will give is my body, and I give it for the life of the world. For a Christian, the pattern is Jesus. What did he do? He offered himself a perfect and complete sacrifice for the love of God. And you and I should be prepared also to be broken bread and poured out wine for the life of the world. Let me ask you, who are the people who have most profoundly influenced your life? Those who have most profoundly influenced my life are without exception people who have suffered because it has been in that very suffering that God has refined the gold, tempered the steel, and molded the pot, broken the bread, and made that person into something that feeds a multitude, of whom I have been one of the beneficiaries. There is, in fact, no redemptive work done anywhere without suffering. And God calls us to stand alongside him, to offer our sufferings to him for his transfiguration and to fill up in our pure and our poor human flesh. If I'm not given to the privilege, if I'm not given the privilege of being crucified, if I'm not given the privilege of being martyred in some way, some literal way for God, 
I'm given the privilege of offering up to him whatever he has given to me. I offer to him all that I am, all that I have, and all that I do, and all that I suffer for his transformation, transfiguration, exchange for life of the world. That is what it's all about. So, I just want to take this opportunity and thank all of you for everything you've done. And I sincerely mean that for all the prayers, the support, and the love that you've shown to me, my wife, and children for all these years. I feel uh, very unworthy of it. And I just pray that we grow closer together through this, that we will see past the, uh, the faults, the inconsistencies, and just seek to encourage others to a greater walk in knowing Christ in a deeper way. So thank you and God bless you. <laughs>